just thinking there in between the recordings, I might actually make season five no pictures and no blurbs and just upload them to fuck. Um, and see how that goes. We'll just see how that goes. The other thing that I want to talk about is this idea of embracing this fad diet again. So I start this tomorrow, okay? It's going to be the 1st of April when I start this. And what it's going to give me is it's going to give me a reference point. It's going to give me a start point. It's going to give me ground to stand on, a philosophical anchor. Firm ground, I think, is, is a term that people use. And again, I don't have this very well formulated in my head. And the, the whole point of doing these recordings is to try and just fucking iron out these things. So in relation to just in, in relation to what I said, like standing on firm ground, and I don't mean in a in a literal sense, okay? I'm not talking about avoiding boggy areas, okay? I'm talking about psychologically, about not academically, but psychologically said. When you're standing on firm ground psychologically, you have uh, you have time to think. So let me just think. If I was chatting to somebody who ran, I don't fucking know, a butterfly sanctuary, okay, I would have a, I would have fucking terra fucking firma to stand on in com- in conversation with somebody who ran a butterfly sanctuary, because I understand controlling environments, okay. So I have a load of fucking. I I don't have I don't have just a a, a foot square piece of ground to stand on. I have a three thousand square foot concrete base to stand on. And I can walk around it and I can, I can say, and what about this? And have you thought about the humidity here? And what do you do with pockets of humidity and low and high pressure? And what's the, what's the volume of air? What's the air transfer like? I mean, how much air comes in? How much air goes out? Do you have negative air pressure in your enclosure? Like there's a million and one different avenues that I can talk to somebody who operates a butterfly sanctuary because of my own background in running a controlled environment. I also have an interest in the natural world. I know a thing or two about butterflies, not a whole pile, but I'd be relatively familiar with their life cycle. You know, egg to caterpillar to pupae or cocoon or whatever they call it. And then through, what's the word, metamorphosis into a butterfly and all that jazz. I understand about how butterflies take nectar out of plants with their tongues. So they have a sugar-based diet. I know a little bit about sugar and carbohydrates. I know a little bit about predation. I know that certain butterflies can be parasitic and can parasites can act upon them as well. Butterflies, as I understand it, may or may not, I'm not sure, have a, a weird relationship with wasps. I don't know. But the idea being that if I was to speak to somebody who ran a butterfly enclosure or a butterfly sanctuary or some sort of a butterfly thing, I have enough relative experience to have a really good conversation with that person. So I have plenty of solid ground to stand on. In relation to dieting, the solid ground that I have is, isn't, isn't as extensive. Now it would be if I ran, if my business was making, I don't know, protein bars, I'd have gone down the protein rabbit hole and I'd know a lot about, I'd know a lot more than I do about micros and macros and vitamins and minerals and proteins and diet generally and all the rest of it. But I haven't got that background, so I don't know a lot about it. Now, I have done the ketogenic diet before, and by doing the ketogenic diet, that's, what's, that's what educated me in relation to us having two fuel sources, fat and sugar. 
I wouldn't have known that without having gone on the ketogenic diet before. And again, a big part of why I'm doing the whole carnivore diet thing for the month of April is so that I learn from it and that I have a little bit more solid ground to stand on. Because once you have solid ground to stand on, it's a launch pad. You, you learn a little bit about something and you use that to jump to the next phase. But without, it, without an initial thing to stand on, I'm, I'm speaking more kind of figuratively now, without something to stand on, without some sort of a grounding, without that, you're treading water. And it's like, imagine you don't know how to swim and you're in open water and you're treading water and somebody is on a boat that's out of reach and they're trying to explain something to you. They're trying to explain the life cycle of the fucking butterfly for all I care. It doesn't matter. You're treading water, so you're fucking busy kind of... Just stay alive, basically. And it's going to be infinitely harder to learn something when you're in that environment. But if somebody just gave you a little foot square piece to stand on to keep your fucking chin above the water, you'd actually be able to go, okay, so the okay, so it starts off with the egg, okay, and then it goes to caterpillar and it just gives you space in your mind to concentrate and it gives you a reference point. I know I'm not fucking exactly hitting the nail on the head here, but Basically, what I'm striving to get across is you need some form of grounding in, in something before you can learn something else. So I mentioned the Pine Martin in the other episode. I, took, I found a dead Pine Martin and didn't know what it was. I thought it was a weasel or a stoat or a ferret or something. Turns out it was a Pine Martin. Now that I know what a Pine Martin is, relatively intimately because I've, I've held it and I've dissected it and I've skinned it and I've done all the rest of it, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the animal. More so than most people who've never fucking seen one, say. But if I'm out at a lake with the kids or the dogs or whatever else, and I see something jumping along the riverbank that looks like a pine martin, say, I'm going to know whether it is a pine martin or not, because I know what a pine martin looks like. If it looks similar... But different, I'm going, to know the, I'm going to know the difference. I'm going to spot that distinction. I know that it has a, a kind of a, uh, an, an identifying thing. It has a, a, a white throat, basically. So it's typically a brown, blackish animal, but it has a bright, white, yellowish throat, which makes it very distinguishable from other weasels and stoats and things that are very similar. But my experience of having found that pine martin makes me familiar with one of the 10 different species that are closely linked. And that, knowing that, that's my firm ground. So I would argue that if I was to have to learn about the 10 different types, or the five different types, call it, look, we'll name them out. Ferret, stoat, weasel, mink. Ferret, stoat, weasel, mink and pine martin there's five ferret stoat measle sorry ferret stoat weasel mink pine martin there's five creatures that are very very closely related i would imagine now if i had to learn about those five things and learn as much as i could about them before this time tomorrow i would argue that i would have a much better chance of learning about those five animals 
having already known a little bit about the Pine Martin, because that's my reference point. So, because I know what size a Pine Martin is, I can say to myself, now I'm just talking out loud here, I don't know these things, but I can say that a weasel is bigger than a Pine Martin, or a ferret is smaller than a Pine Martin. I have that reference point. But if you don't have that reference point, some are big and some are small, and you've nowhere to... Uh, You've nothing to compare it to. And that's what the solid ground idea is. That's what firm ground, that's what having, having an idea of what you're talking about. That, um, that reference point, that start point, the, the, that ground to stand on, the philosophical anchor, that firm ground, for me in relation to that family of animals is the pine martin. I know a little bit about it and now I can compare everything to it. And there's something to that in life generally. If you know a little bit about something, you can use that as firm ground to stand on and further explore that intellectual territory. And it's the more foundational and the more fundamental that thing that you understand is, the better position you are in to move from there, to, to kind of move, to, to go forth and to progress your own thinking. And I don't think we do nearly enough of that. I don't think we do nearly enough really, really, really deep thinking and the idea of deep thinking is what's behind that what's behind that so think of something that you uh, know to be true or just think of something that you think i don't know i'm, I'm looking around me here I, i'm looking at the forklift okay so it's got wheels so i understand what wheels are i know their function and all the rest of it but i've never really gone down a wheel rabbit hole I've never, I don't know that, I don't have a deep understanding of wheels. So I'm looking at these wheels here and they're on a forklift. And I'm like, okay, well, where did they come from? And they're like, well, I presume they were on something before a forklift. Like a forklift is a fairly advanced machine. It's got hydraulics. It's got, it's an electric forklift as well. So what came before this? Well, it was presumably a diesel forklift. Okay, and what came before that? Well, it was presumably a tractor came before a forklift. Well, tractors were made for out in the, out in fields so there's air in the tires because they're not on smooth concrete like this is you couldn't drive this on anything other than smooth concrete and you go down the rabbit hole basically and i've spoken about this idea of going down the rabbit hole to find philosophical bedrock the more philosophical bedrock that you have fucking nailed down that you can stand on with a certainty that there's that with a certainty that you understand it at the deepest level once you've gone down there and you find the base principle of the wheel, the, the a priori presupposition of what a wheel is and what its function is, once you understand that at a really deep level, that's your firm ground. You're looking, your philosophical bedrock is firm ground where you can start thinking about. Because if you do that and then you work from there, so if you pair it all the way back to let's say the first known use of a wheel let's say it was in fucking ancient Egypt I don't fucking know from there you move on and you could even pair back why wasn't it used in other areas before then well maybe they didn't have the terrain that wheels are useful in like try pushing a wheelbarrow through a forest and see how far that gets you wheels aren't much that aren't much use in that type of terrain and the, the point that I'm striving to make here is the more foundational we can make our presuppositions, the more, the more depth that we can have, the more reliable the outcomes are. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> this is when you need a fucking guest. This is when you need somebody to turn around and go, I know what you mean, Frano. Or what the fuck are you on about, Frano? Because it's kind of hard for me to keep all this, all, it's, it's hard for me to keep, it's hard for me to keep up with myself. And there's another interesting one that I've thought about before. I've often wondered, because I can't keep up with my thoughts, does that mean I'm a dumb cunt or I'm a genius? Like, am I so dumb that I can't keep up with my own fucking thoughts? Or am I so clever, I can't keep up with all my thoughts? And it's, like most things, if it's one or the other, it's probably a good mixture of both. Which now has me thinking about IQ, because something that I've thought about IQ before is I have a, I have, I don't know if it's an analogy or a metaphor, one or the other. So, the way I conceptualise IQ is, sorry, before I explain how I conceptualise it, I'm going to say what it is. My understanding of what IQ is, is it's just raw processing power. Okay, so myself and ourself, the wife, generally speaking, we'd be there, thereabouts the same intelligence as each other. Now, intelligence, I'm using intelligence distinct from IQ, okay? We're pretty much as smart as each other. I, I never really feel that I'm a whole pile smarter than her, and I, I don't think she, I, I don't think I'm a whole pile smarter than her, but I also don't think she's a whole pile smarter than me. But I would argue that she has a higher IQ than me. She has a better processing power than me. So to give an example that I've given before, she would know the 16 digit code on her bank code or on her bank card. She'd know that off and she'd know it off because she's read it a couple of times or she's had to put it into a computer to pay for something online a couple of times. I could sit down for a fucking month and do nothing else other than try and remember that 16 digit code and the best way I could probably do it would be to break it into four four-digit numbers and see if I could actually remember those four four-digit numbers and then put them together and almost pretend like I learned a 16-digit number off. I don't have that processing power. I just, I'm, I'm, I just don't have it. It's not that I don't have it. I have a certain amount of it, but I would argue that she would have more of it. And I think what she has more of is IQ. I think she has a better processing power. She has more processing power than I have but she doesn't have the interest in things that I have. So she's just not that arsed about going down rabbit holes. I live down a fucking rabbit hole. Okay, I'm always searching for more information or a better understanding of God knows, God knows what. And that can make me appear to be quite smart. But when it comes down to it, I don't have that raw processing power. I don't have that ability to... You know the guys who, they spin plates, they have like almost like snooker cues sticking up out of the ground and they spin plates, plates on top and the plate would be spinning like fuck, like a lad would spin a, a basketball on his finger, but these are plates. You know what I'm talking about? These, these guys that they, they can do 20 or 30 or 50 at the, at the time, they have their, their snooker cue pointing up in the air, they spin one plate, they spin another plate, they spin another plate, they spin 30 plates, and by the time they're spinning their 30th plate, the first plate is starting to fucking wobble a little, so they have to run back and spin that around. Keeping all those plates spinning, I think that's a good, a good analogy for somebody with a high IQ. Somebody with a high IQ finds it easier, I think, to hold up, not plates, but ideas and thoughts. And another analogy is, when I'm working on a PC, 
depending on what I'm doing, I might have five or six tabs open in Chrome, in my browser, and I might be jumping in between them because, especially if I'm trying to, if I might have a Word document and I might be copying something off the internet, so I have an internet tab open and I have a Word document open. So that's two things going on at the same time. But I'd often have three or four, and I've worked for corporations whereby I have to have eight different systems open all at the same time, and I'm interacting between them all. And in order to do that in the first place, you need to have a relatively high IQ. IQ is set at 100, is, is set as the average. So you need a, an IQ of there, thereabouts, 100 or higher in order to operate half a dozen different systems that are completely independent of each other at the same time. Okay, you need that. And I have the ability to do that. But I think as your IQ drops, you can handle less tabs open at the same time. Now that's only going to work as an analogy if you're familiar with tabs and browsers and fucking systems the corporations use and all the rest of it. But hopefully between the two of those examples, the spinning the plates and the keeping the tabs open, you've got a more tangible feel of what, of what IQ is. And on that note, I'll chat to you soon.